Hi, everyone. It's Jen DeWall. Welcome to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. And on this week's episode, I sat down with Daria Gutnick to talk about the future of learning. Now, before we go into the show, I just want to remind you that every single month, Crestcom offers a complimentary free to the public webinar. And coming up this month in February, on February 14th, we will be talking all about building resilience and cultivating self-love for success in the workplace. Now, this is something that I feel like I need, and maybe you're going through some challenges and maybe you transition to a new leadership role or you're kind of doubting yourself. Come on over to the webinar. Let's see if we can give you some tools to overcome some of the obstacles that you're facing. All right, now on to the show. I sat down with Daria Gutnick to talk about the future of learning. And now let me tell you a little bit more about Daria. Daria is an academic turned founder. She is the co-founder of Bunch, and she works to redefine learning at work. As the host of the Teams at Work podcast, the author of The Weekly Briefing, she reaches over 50,000 millennial and Gen Z professionals weekly. And Daria and I sat down to talk about and understand what the future of work will look like, as well as the skills that we need to be learning today and the new tools that are on your horizon to being your best self. So enjoy. Uh, Daria, I'm so glad that you're here today. I am pumped to be having a conversation on the future of learning. There is so much going on. People might be listening to this from the headspace of, what do I need to know to be ready for the future? Or how could I educate my teams? What do I need to know for myself? Or even heck, they might be part of the layoffs that we're seeing right now. What do I need to do to make sure that I can be hireable? We're going to go there and you shared shared an article before that we're going to also talk (laughs) about that has been trending this week. But Daria, before we jump into it, I love a great origin story. So if you could just go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience. I know they heard a little bit about you in the opener, but I love to hear it from the guests themselves. So if you could tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came to be. Totally. And glad to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. And um, hey, everyone who's listening. Um, My name is Daria and I'm a psychologist by training, um, but always dabbled in the like entrepreneurial realm. So I grew up with an entrepreneurial mom who has a uh, restaurant um, business and a real estate business. So quite like down to earth, nothing with tech and digital things uh, whatsoever. And it was kind of pretty normal to me, I think, to serve customers and to think about customer value and things like that. But I always also had a knack for people and people structures, people dynamics and things like that. And so I turned out to be always between these kind of like um, harder business worlds as a former consultant and um, and then the soft side of things like as a psychologist. And I also did the certification in um, org development and team building and um, leadership team cognitive development. Um, and Ended up doing that as a consultant at at the back um, of my first startup. And to be honest, Bunch, the company that we're building today, is uh, and that I, my co-founder I co-founded, is basically kind of a result of me as a coach noticing that the formats we are offering as leadership developers on the market are not up to date to what consumers and the new generation of leaders, managers, and professionals need. Um, we see digitalization and convenience and on-demand services kind of taking over in many parts of our lives, right? Like from Uber to Netflix to um, other other applications that are kind of like delivering what you need at the right moment in time. But when we think about org development, professional development, leadership development, 
we were still stuck in these like it's workshops, webinars, long form programs, lots of time commitment and not as much on demand, not as much in the moment and not as much contextualized. And so um, what we basically went for um, with Bunch is to say we provide a, like truly digital, like digital first um, gamified in the moment tool for managers and for professionals to scale themselves up. And the last point that I want to make is that it was also really, really important to me to serve to the individual um, as someone who's worked with businesses all my life and like kind of starting my career in HR always positioned me in on the kind of the stakeholder map with like the other business executives and employees and so on. And I always had this feeling that if we don't focus on the individual employee enough, we'll get a bill for that later. So like if we as service providers, if we as coaches, if we as consultants approach the business stakeholder as a company only, and like don't actually start with the needs and the psychology of each individual professional in the workplace, we'll really cut short in the solutions and the services we provide. And I've seen too little on the market in the HR tech space, um, companies and products that were really, really focused on the individual. So when we started Bunch, um, it was really important to us to say, like, we start with you as a person in the workplace, with you as a human and what your needs are and what you are looking for. And then we build from that towards, let's say, enterprise and business value and so on, so on. So um, that's kind of how we ended up building Bunch, which is a um, an AI leadership coach, which helps professionals, um, particularly millennials, I think, but overall professionals to um, upskill key skills in just two minutes a day. I love that. So is it kind of like the Duolingo of leadership? You know, if you want to learn yeah. a new language, you can invest you in this it. and do it two minutes a day. What, exactly. like, so I love the short form, right? And I, I love gamification. I appreciate that as someone that, whether it's my Apple Watch or Peloton or other apps that I use, I am absolutely into habit tracking. It is it's kind of obsessive, right? Like I can get the irk if I don't do it. I'm like, oh gosh, I have to do this. I'm going to lose my streak. And it's amazing exactly. how 10 years ago, I didn't care what a streak was, but now I really care what a streak is. So we're going to be talking all about the future of learning. And I love that you shared that. We're going to be talking a little bit more about Bunch um, and how you kind of enter that space. Because I love the service that you offer. But before we dive into it, I know you had sent an article and shared, and I think it's a great article to talk about. There's great dialogue. Um, I have points of view on it. You have points of view. And it's. I think it's just helpful for everyone to be able to hear. But we're talking about the current state. Today is February 8th, 2023. So just to know when this is recorded, we're talking pretty real time of <clears throat> some of the changes that we're seeing in the news on LinkedIn about big tech company layoffs. And do you want to just share a little bit with our audience about the article that you sent with me? Yeah, exactly. So we obviously have been going through this like um, um, consequences of market correction as a um, founder in a company, as as someone who received venture funding. We've known about the kind of upcoming like um, difficult time, as we might call it, um, economically since the beginning of 2022. Actually, our first conversations with our shareholders around we gotta like pre prepare for the winter, like it's going to be tough. We need like longer runways in actually April, 2022. And I think a lot of companies have been kind of trying to wrap their heads around what does that mean for us? What do we need to do now? Um, how do we protect ourselves and our workforce to get through this crisis period that is up and coming um, in, in, a in a more stable or foundational way? 
And so it's not surprising for me as a business owner and as a founder that we see um, waves of layoffs because we've had a bull market for a long time, specifically tech companies since COVID have been hiring quite aggressively. We've been always on the like kind of um, other end of that as a small startup because we had to compete with these massive packages. Like we've never been able to compete with Google's and Facebook's passages. And, and it's always like this as a small business. But I think in the last couple of years, it just took a whole different like level of not only, um, I think, salaries, but it's just like the benefits and the additional kind of structures that were built around it. So it was not so surprising to me to see that companies go back to asking the question, do we really need all of this? Is it like the most efficient way to run the business? Do we, how much workforce do we actually really need? And so this isn't surprising per se. However, what I found interesting when I wanted to dig into this with you, when I read for the first time, I think this morning or two, yesterday morning, um, that tech companies are speaking up about how they decide on the layoffs and who is being laid off and how the restructuring is happening behind the layoffs because it's not um, small amounts of people, right? Like it's 10, 15% in some of the companies. It's like massive amounts of people. And sure, we can talk about how tech companies want to like let go of people that are not as performing in their context and things like that. But I think that's kind of really obvious to a degree. And probably mm -hmm. most of you out there kind of know this already. But what I think was new in this conversation recently is that I think it was Mark Zuckerberg first who basically said, we want you as a middle manager to either go back to building and become an individual contributor because you've been a great engineer before, you've been a great designer before, you've been a great product person before, and we want you to go back there or you leave. And I think this is a very new perspective that I at least don't remember from the crisis from 2028 um, in 2008 and 2009, because back then it was just kind of like random layoffs, whatever, we're just getting more efficient and it stopped there. But now we are seeing an actual structural change or thinking around how much structural support does an organization need? How much managerial support does an organization truly need in 2023 with all the technological development we have happening with ChatGPT, et cetera? And I'm seeing companies being more aggressive about well, maybe we want to invest in individuals and kind of like stuck tools around them, make them more performant. And maybe we want to move away from like managerial structures as much as we've been building on them in the past. And I found that as a psychologist and also someone who serves middle managers, <laughs> effectively really interesting because I was wondering, wow, what does that mean for our users now? And like um, a whole different world. Like, do these people go to other, let's say, more traditional companies that still actually rely on a lot of middle managerial structures and are looking for new talent, right? Like talent with digital skills, talent with tech skills. Or are we going to see that across the board? Is this like a tech industry only thing or not? And yeah, so the, these were like the first thoughts I had. And I was wondering what you think about it. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about this. And I mean, Okay, if I take out the fact that people's jobs are being lost, like I obviously have sensitivity and empathy towards that from where I sit, like living in OD or organizational development and leadership development, I have been wanting organizations to reorg for a very long time. And I know I'm not alone. Like this is not a new concept for the people that are in that space. 
I have been wanting that because when you have individuals that are in front of you that are doing, let's call it forced leadership development, they don't really want to be a leader. All they want is the paycheck that comes with it. And that's the only way for many companies that people could actually climb and be successful. And so we, whether or not we're capable or whether or not we even want to, which are so important to behavior change, we're thrown into that role of people leadership. And then of course you see the turnover ramifications of that because people we know lead bad managers, not necessarily the organizations. And so I don't necessarily, you know, I get, I I like that they're starting to think differently. Why are we limited in how we actually exhibit or the pathways that we create for success for people? Why aren't we allowing someone to be a great technical leader? So it's really the difference between being a technical leader and a people leader. And yes, it's about dang time that organizations are starting to say, we value your technical expertise and we're not going to add the constraints and limitations and challenges of people leadership. Because there's often people that come into it and they're like, Jen, I hate this. Like, I don't want to be, you know, everyone's babysitter. I don't want to do insert all of the complaints of being a manager. That's what leadership is. That is what it is. And so I get that you don't want to do it, but also they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because how do you get the compensation? How do you get the title when most organizational hierarchies are very limited and how we value someone's strengths? And as that article said, you know, we'll we'll promote them into people leaders. So then we lose all that institutional knowledge and productivity and speed that they have. And we are then trying to do it. And then they don't even want to develop the next people. They don't know how to develop it if they're not giving leadership development. So I am here for the change. I don't, I mean, I know that that article kind of attributes to Elon Musk, but I guarantee that there are organizational development professionals that are like, finally, finally, this is hitting mainstream because we see this issue every single day we go into a learning space. This is super interesting. And I do think that it's probably quite a polarizing, like, Um, point of view, even though I, to a certain degree, agree with you, or I can see that other side. Definitely. I, I had to like fight my first reaction of defensiveness when I read it, because I'm like, oh no, like they're already so squeezed. Like our whole takeaway, and this is a very biased perspective of a service provider to managers. We have over 70,000 users on the platform. And like, all we are hearing is that they don't have enough support. They don't have enough training. They don't have enough mentorship. They don't have enough feedback. And they're so squeezed already. As you said, it's their jobs. I agree with this 100%. And oftentimes our advice is kind of resulting in the same one. Take charge, own your thing, it's stuff, but here are like tools you can use and so on. And now with basically, I mean, we're not going to get rid of all management. Like there's still going to be managers. So these managers are going to stay. They will have more pressure. <laughs> That's one consequence, I think, obviously. It's not like there's going to be like 15 times more investment in their coaching and mentorship now, right? Like they probably will be left with whatever they had before. Plus they just have more direct reports right now and like kind of more organization to deal with. And then the other kind of half or however many um, will be looking for new jobs and will be asking themselves exactly these questions. Like, do I go back into this? Was this a good step to begin with? Am I an actual manager or not? And when thinking this further, I actually thought, Let's say the majority of these people says, no, I go back to IC um, in like Facebook's case or whatever, just for and I see exemplary. Just for audience. I see where we mean an individual contributor. Yes, exactly, exactly. So just, just I will be a team member again. Um, just like, I'm not sure we have the tools yet. And I don't know in detail meta setup here. Um, I have been researching though for like 
selfish, like my own individual reasons, because in spite of us having a small team, we also have people on the team that are like brilliant technical contributors that are really genius at what they do and that are also trying to understand where is gonna what where's my career going to go like and um do I go into management after do I stay in this space where I am right now where I'm like developing really cutting edge technology and like how does my career look like and when I was researching this um and I was finding like career ladders for engineers at from Uber and things like this if you compare so we have these two um pathways right like um Tech companies typically have this like individual contributor um, progression track for engineers in particular, not for anyone else, as far as I know, by the way, just for engineers, like designers and product managers, they can only be two things, product manager, senior product manager, or they go to management, that's it. But for engineers, we found like staff engineer, principal engineer, like we found some other things to recognize that they're actually like really leading their field, even if they don't have direct reports. Yeah. Um, but I had the feeling that it's very thin there, you know, like staff in principal engineer, basically there is like a few of them in every organization, like in Uber, I don't know, maybe there is like five principal engineers and like 20 staff engineers or whatever, but that's basically it. And then there's a few tech leads and then like senior and middle management, um, middle, mid-level engineers and junior engineers. But there is not actually that many tools to help your people understand if you're an individual contributor, um, you're being recognized, you're being valued, you are being respected, you have authority in your opinion. Like, um, and I was wondering, like, I think to a degree, those individual contributors stay around, right? Like for a long time, acquire knowledge about the company, acquire context, acquire a lot of really good stuff that helps them execute on every like daily, on the day to day. How do we make that visible? How do we actually make this kind of like, what is the workfluencer component yeah. within the organization if I am not going to climb the management letter, which now got even more tiny? And there is just like not going to be so much space because we're flattening the organizations. How do we recognize people? How do we help them feel like they are progressing in their careers if they're stuck on the same levels, basically? And like I think there's a lot of exciting work to be done for OD professionals um, to define that. But I definitely think there isn't that much out there right now. It's Well, I think it's because organizations just haven't done it. They just have exactly. traditional organizational hierarchies that promote, promote, people leader, people leader. And so we all have to change our perspective. And I guarantee that person that hates people leadership that just wants to go back to technical is finally like, yes, please let me focus on my strengths. Let me leverage my experience. Don't make me lead with my deficits, which, yeah. you know, sometimes when we have great technical and this is going to sound like a very general statement and know that it's latent with bias, but you know, some people, your personality style might gravitate more towards technical roles. And that's where you're going to be able to thrive and be your best self. And as much as we flex into different styles and we all need to do that, we can't live there and feel fulfilled or happy or productive or successful because we're probably struggling more than maybe the person that has that as their skill set. I love this conversation. I'm curious to see the way that organizations adapt because 
It's going to require, you know, compensation analysis of how do you comp these individuals? How do you reprogram people to even be more inclusive of individual contributors? Because they are the loneliest ones in the workforce. 70% yeah. of individual contributors report feeling lonely. And yeah. so how do we make sure that they feel a part of something if they are not going to be a part of a team or leading a team? Like there's so many like little things or ripple effects that are going to happen as a result exactly. of potentially reorging it. So let's, exactly. let's dive in now thinking about that future, knowing that there's going to be a shift. I mean, another curiosity would be, oh my gosh, the gig economy, how is that going to play into it? But I know we don't have that much time, <laughs> but going into now the future of learning, what do you think? So you alluded to this a little bit. Actually, wait, 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 but on the gig economy part, just like, yeah. I agree it's a rabbit hole. Let's not like fall into it. However, <laughs> it makes the gig economy so much more attractive because if I am stuck in a company where I can be promoted and the management thing is like off the table right now and, and, and. And I am kind of like, well, unless they figure out like a better comp package, unless they figure out how to make me feel seen and heard, how to make my voice and contribution feel seen and heard, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to become an individual contributor that's paid bigger money by my freelance clients, which by the way, there is more than ever now, again, because it's like much easier to cancel a freelance contract than it is to like, you know, get rid of an employment contract for a business. And so I will get contribution for uh, recognition from my customers because if they love my work, they're going to tell me in a nice email saying, we love your work. We want to book you again. So like these little fit feedback mechanisms that really play a massive role in how a person decides upon their career choices and how they progress through the different seasons of their career are really, I feel underestimated and under like overlooked or have been overlooked. And now we finally have to pay attention to them, I think. Otherwise we will continuously to see like the migration from people um, from like full-time employment into, into the gig economy and like alternative ways of employment, which I'm also very supportive of for different yeah. reasons. But like, I think it would be also a bummer if we ended up with kind of everyone fighting for themselves and we can't like organize ourselves around mis shared missions anymore. I also don't think um, gig economy is for everyone. I think a lot of people still prefer full-time employment for different reasons. And I think we really have to figure out how to recognize people beyond the usual, you know, management ladder. You know, it's interesting because we're talking about two of the major areas that are that have been disrupted, you know, heavily within the last few years and more heavily going forward. What what work looks like? And then also what education looks like. We know that, you know, universities, everything has been upended in terms of whether it's the shift in human behavior, the resistance to pay, you know, the expense. I mean, I'm 40 and I still have student loans. So there's a reluctance for me going into a PhD to even think, well, how much money do I have to spend for that? And looking for alternative ways to be able to afford it so I can acquire that knowledge. Because for me, taking on $100,000 in debt on top of my MBA debt is a lot. But then yeah. also within work, like, okay, if I don't get to, I think there's this, there's an individual that we interviewed. Her name is Dr. Sarah Beth Burke, and she talks about being more than your title. And I think that her concept has a lot of legs. You're seeing more and more people really want to lead with their strengths and mm -hmm. want to feel seen and want to make an impact in that way. And so it's shifting kind of what meaningful work looks like. There's so many exciting things about how, what's coming on the future, but I also know there's a lot of intimidation with that stuff, right? Like, cause then mm. it's like, how do we adapt? How do we change our organizational efforts? Like these are not small lifts. Like it's going to impact so much. 
Crosshelm is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Crestcom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Crestcom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at crestcom.com. Let's let's dive into that future of learning. What do you think? So knowing, I mean, I, I know it. Our attention spans are so small now. We're, we dropped, what, five seconds in the last 20 years from 13 to eight seconds or something. And yeah. what, what does that look like? If we're thinking about um, soft skills development, what, what is the Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I think there's a few things out there. So um, one of we've been kind of already hearing about always, I feel like it, it, but it was kind of one of these like very niche nerd skills almost that people kind of knew is important, but it never really made the like big coming out, which was um, like a meta skill, basically like learning how to learn new things. Um, I remember running a study uh, two years ago with our user base where the very first one where we were basically asking like, what do you think makes a great leader? Like list the attributes, adjectives, whatever comes to mind. And um, we had a, a lot of kind of, you know, usual suspects like emotional intelligence, um, mm-hmm. the ability to communicate like a vision and a direction very well, humility and so on. But what we're seeing now is actually with ChatGPT in particular, it's so blatantly clear that things can change within a whim and it doesn't actually make sense to kind of mm, invest in building up really complex hard skills like they might be replaced like that activity you need to do might be replaced or might be at least heavily um kind of uh assisted by technology and by ai so it's just so so important to understand how you can actually integrate new tools, new tooling, and new technological developments into your workflows very quickly. And anything that is complex and requires creativity and trust building, especially over remote environments and like over distance, is just so, so, so important. So I think what we're seeing is um, the skill to learn new things is kind of leading the pack, so to say, when it comes to managerial skills and competencies. And then the other important things are really like emotional intelligence and the ability to build trust, the ability to listen, the ability to communicate with conviction as well. Um, I think this is kind of what we what we see in terms of what actually is the content that people are looking for. But at the same time, when we talk about formats and how people learn, I think nothing too surprising, to be honest. When we started Bunch a few years back, it was already kind of visibly coming, but I think now everyone everyone knows it. Um, anything that is on mobile or in any other way, very conveniently accessible to you always trumps everything else. So like we see lots of e-learning and this is a very old term. We don't actually use it in like ed tech anymore, but like 
the market reports. <laughs> they use it still. There's this category of like e-learning, which is basically everything digital. And I think we started with like web-based formats, Udemy and LinkedIn learning and these type of things, right? And now we moved beyond that and we moved into highly personalized, highly individualized, on-demand, mobile first with integrations into like Teams um, and Slack and other things, formats that are really, really important and contextual to you. And then of course, short formats still are like bite-sized learning is a very big trend that I think we are all um, seeing like stronger and stronger picking up um, with Bunch. It's literally part of our core value proposition, like become a better leader in two minutes a day. It's very sticky. It's one of the reasons why people download the app. And it's kind of scary, actually, how simple things have become, not in terms of how simple or how easy it is to create content that actually teaches people things in that short amount of time. It's very hard. But consumers are looking for highly personalized guidance that can fit into their day-to-day, meaning between meetings, in a break, before they log into Zoom, on commute, and really builds around them and does not require the consumer to build around the offering. So how we learn should really follow our overall habits and be as convenient as possible. So if I kind of want to headline it, I think it's all about convenience because those people or those services and products that really can make it as easy as possible really do kind of win with, I think, professionals today. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I mean, convenience, it's all of us, right? We have short attention spans. We want everything fast now. Which can sometimes, for and what they're seeing with the younger genera- generations, translate into is that hard is bad. Hard is bad. And so hard what consequence do you think that has to how we learn if we're like, well, if it's not easy, then I don't want to do it. Like, I mean, well, I, I don't know, I know that, that I, I, altruistic. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, great. But then what, what are blind spots that could potentially be created? I totally agree with like the general, you know, I know what you mean with hard is bad or like I can relate to it a lot, of course, but I don't think it's entirely true. So what I learned about our users and also from actually a recent market report that I read from Gardner, um, happy to send that through and link it in the show notes. I found it really interesting. Actually, everyone is extremely curious about themselves and where their journey is going. So the majority of people in the workplace wants to learn more about themselves and how to improve. So we actually see more adoption of a growth mindset than we've ever seen before. So as a society and as a humanity, we actually evolved a little. Like we moved forward on that scale of we're here to learn. We want to mature. We want to adopt to new environments and actually make progress overall and contribute to something meaningful. We've seen this with like, you know, millennial studies, like, um, people want impact, people want purpose and so on. Mm-hmm. Like that journey continues. So um, I don't know whether we are necessarily concluding people don't want to put in the effort, you know? It's more that they want to know more about themselves. They want to have meaningful journeys. They want to contribute to something bigger, but they don't want to do meaningless work to get there, if that makes sense. So um, one this report that I'm referencing actually phrased it as something like, They are so curious about all these like offerings and it's so dramatic and tragic for this L&D market because there are so many offerings when it comes to psychometrics, when it comes to learning formats, when it comes to content, there is so much out there, but this like connection between 
you as a professional and this content that lies around somewhere in Google or in some book or somewhere else, it's just too tough for you to find it. So you actually want to know more about yourself and you want to learn. And there is that content out there, but like you don't get together and it's actually holding a whole industry back is how they wrote it. And I think it's absolutely true. So I don't want to, and I disagree with the like quiet quitting BS and things like this that we like have titled. Like, I think we are misunderstanding these new generations. For them, it's really about ROI on time. It's not that they don't want to do the work. They just want to be hyper-efficient in what they do. And they want to really understand, maybe they understand more than we did before in previous generations, that time on earth is very, very, very limited. Everything is about to go down, right? Like there's these wars on the horizon all the time. And then there is climate change and there is pandemics and what not happened in the last five years. So I think as a young person in the professional environment, you learn one thing. It's like, you can't trust this. This may be over at any moment. So they are really trying to understand how can I fit everything into my day? How can I fit everything into my month and my year? Because I can't plan 10 years in advance. I can't plan 20 years in advance. So I plan a year in advance or so. And therefore within that year, my like hobbies need to fit and my partnership needs to fit and my um, work for the purposes I believe in need to fit my whatever volunteering activities. And I also want to progress in my career. So I think it's more about being efficient rather than not wanting to put the effort, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I The only reason I struggle with that is I go back to my 20-year-old millennial self and there's a little bit of ego. Like I already know everything, like I got this or <laughs> I know what I don't need to know. And like, that was the initial resistance with millennials coming into the workforce in general, right? Like feeling like, oh, I already know this because I have technology. So I've already got this and I don't have to like have the actual real life experience to understand what this looks like in action with complex human emotions and decision-making. And so I think about that of like, that was almost what got me into trouble in my twenties of feeling like, Oh, like I I don't have to like have the actual like case study example in my life, like, cause I can just learn it. And then I know better. And so like, that's, I think of myself of being like done like this, you will really have to be mindful of your blind spots because the information is available but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have learned it yet. Um, and I, cause I, again, as someone that loves to learn, that's all, that's always the trap that I found myself in is like getting into this, like I can get really educated and then I would get a reality hit of like, Oh, okay. But I want to talk about how AI will, or like chat GPT and what that looks like. So I know that bunch leverages the power of chat GPT and you know, you will tell me because it's two minutes a day. And I love that. I love making learning accessible for people. Absolutely. I have some reservations only because of what I'm sharing about myself, right? And how I learn and that there are blind spots there. And we only rely on one way of kind of learning this information. But let's talk about the, for those, let's level set. Chat GPT for some people is still a, what was that now? What are those acronyms? So what is Chat GPT? So ChatGPT is actually an application that OpenAI, which is the company behind ChatGPT and GPT-3 and similar applications, um, developed to make their um, language model, which is GPT-3, usable, accessible, and interactive for the common person on Earth. So like they open it up so that we can actually interact with the AI model that lives behind it, which is called GPT-3. And that model has been in development for a few years, and it basically is an algorithm um, that, uh, as far as I know, 
um, soaked in lots and lots and lots of knowledge, like everything that was there to know until 2021 end of year, if I believe, if I remember correctly. So it's actually a little bit like not up to date anymore. If you ask it like very funny questions from 2022, it won't know. And it will tell you like, I don't know. I only go until 2021. But ChatGPT is just the actual like product that is a chat-based interface, chatbot, whatever you want to call it, that lives on top of this um, language machine learning model that OpenAI developed. Yes. And for those that may have seen the news, I feel like I'm not sure how it's portrayed on the news in Germany, but here in the United States, they're showing the, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to high school students because they can put in a prompt that's, you know, how to, you know, discuss, I don't know, how to talk about the history of the United States or whatever. <laughs> Actually, that's really a dicey question, but like any general <laughs> question that they have to, you know, ask about, they could actually kick back and write a paper on. And so, you know, teachers are nervous, a little nervous about copying or how the effort that that will happen. And so that's, I think, how that's how it's portrayed in our media right now is this big thing for teachers to look out for and for parents to be mindful of in terms of the workarounds to actually like sometimes doing the work. Um, yeah. So you can do really sophisticated things that can write blogs. Any question that you want, you can put in there. And it's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's flipping amazing. But we also have to talk about what the opportunities are still within the platform, because I think it actually, tell me this, why did it just blow up in the last month for the normal person? And me, myself being a typical person that's not necessarily immersed in the tech space, because everyone so, is talking about it right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, GPT-3 was, this is a great question, by the way, because we talk about this too little. Like, GPT-3 was around for three, four years. I think the first time we heard about it, we looked into it. Um, was 2020 beginning of the year or so. So like they've been working on it for a really long time and they've been starting to write about it in in the end of 2019, I believe. So the language model isn't like fresh. It's actually been in development for a few years. So the, let's put it like, let's split it for simplicity reasons into like tech and user experience, okay? So the tech isn't new. In fact, the tech is like from the 60s. Like the idea of training language no models, kidding. it's very old, like... 60s probably too far. I think it was the 80s that was like the, the birth period of these like language models and machine learning as an idea and so on. And that is, there is papers that go back to like 84 or so that basically describe how GPT-3 could work in like simple terms. So we actually work on this for a long time. This is not super new. We didn't have the processing power so far to actually make it all work. So one important change on the tech side of things that happened in, let's say the 2000s, it's that we just became more bullish on using more of the Earth's resources to um, build more processing power. And we are able to like run more powerful machines on top of that, which are needed for these language models to be trained. That's one part, but that's not the innovation that happened in November, 2022. In November, 2022, and I think that gets recognized too little, what the team has released um, from OpenAI is an actual um, very mainstream adopted, very polished, um, without many rough edges, product that lives on that technology of GPT-3. So um, when we, for instance, train Bunchy, which is our AI ChatGPT-powered coaching assistant that interacts with our users, the majority of the development work does not go into the tech development. Again, like that has been done already by other people. And it's like years of layering and layering of information intelligence. But what's really tough is to make sure that that agent that you are developing and training responds in a way that the human doesn't feel offended. It feels it can trust the information. It feels um, 
it's not being biased towards one of the other specific direction and can interact with it and actually uses it in the day-to-day life. When we think about AI in like kind of, let's say 2015 till 2020 period, where there was a big like upspring already, right? A lot of issues have been evolving around the UX and how clunky some of the applications were, how they you can't the black box of AI, you can't explain why it's recommending you something. It just gives you a result. So ChatGPT worked a lot around those rough edges. It actually puts a lot of effort into helping you understand how it came to the conclusion. And the way they're doing it is there is different agents for different jobs um, within that chat interface. So you actually just read one text, right? For you, this is one thing. You interact with ChatGPT. Foundational piece. Where do they get the information from? Like, how does it all Oh, this is like literally information. Like, how does that start? Or like, did they pick an encyclopedia? You know, not that they did um, this, like Wikipedia thing. They did not do this. But, you know, where does that start? You know, how did that information start to be collected? This is a great question, but I assume I actually would need to look it up to to know in precision. This is an assumption that I'm speaking out right now. But I assume this is publicly available, basically Googleable information around like the world that is out there. So I don't think this is like we're talking archives and like encyclopedias here, but like we're definitely talking Wikipedia knowledge and other articles, like anything Mm -hmm. that is accessible on the internet publicly can be scraped and accessed by anyone really in the world. And so you can actually, unless you have like, you know, like login paywalls and other uh, protecting mechanisms, there's a majority of the um, internet knowledge is uh, publicly accessible and can be actually found by anyone. And so I assume that they um, scooped a large part of like the world's knowledge that is online accessible, which is why it takes a lot of time because it's a lot of information that needs to be pre-processed and trained. No, um, and but I that is my that. assumption. I would need to to look it up. <laughs> and I love that, like even with Bunch, that like it's taking all of that information that is available on the internet, stuff that you don't see because it doesn't align with your personal algorithms. And now it's in a new place where you can access that with a highly personal prompt. And then it's iterative, right? And you can correct exactly. me in any of the ways that I don't understand this. I am not an expert in this. <laughs> no, no, all good. This, this is actually really interesting. So ChatGPT from OpenAI has one problem currently, which is what Google is trying to like um, bank on, so to say, to outcompete. So ChatGPT mm-hmm. was first. They came forward with this very like just accessible to everyone and their mom um, type of product, like go on this like URL type in whatever you want, get response. And by the way, for everyone out there, like this costs a lot of money to run. Like they are sinking tons and tons of cash into every one of us being used to it. So like, I bet there is a, like getting used to it period where it's like publicly available and it's like open and whatever. Now they've actually launched a premium version, which is like 20 bucks a month. You can um, pay premium for ChatGPT and it comes with like better availability, faster responses and other benefits. But basically what the, the limitation that it has, it, it doesn't actually connect you to things online, right? Like it just tells you, hey, um, tell me about leadership podcasts out there. And then it will like find Jan and Compress or like other people out there, but it will not link you to the show because they don't have access to Google's door, basically. So Google is working on Sparrow, which is basically ChatGPT for Google. But that then does include all the links and it actually meshes the format. So it actually talks to you, but then it gives you like, bum, 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 the three hits that are most relevant for you. And there you go to Google. So we, w- we it's really interesting this year around AI because we'll see a bit of a 
fight between ChatGPT and Google, I assume. Microsoft is doing superbly well. It wins the game every time. It like watches what like other people and Google is doing. And then it just like pushes them all out of the water by like doing some cool enterprise like gimmick of like everyone who has Windows now has like Teams and then goodbye Slack <laughs> and things like this. So like it will be really interesting to see whose technology we really actually end up adopting long-term. But the overall missing piece is really like, where do these search results lead you to? And coming back to the students, right? Um, if you write this article right now, if you're like in a good school, um, you still need to actually find all the source information <laughs> because yeah, it's referencing a ton yeah. of papers. And <laughs> you need to go back and go to Google and like, oh my God, if you don't find the paper, you're like, oh, I need to change that part now. So it's actually not as like convenient yet, but like with the Google thing, it will be super convenient. And so what we do with Bunch is for us, it actually solves a very particular problem. Part of the Bunch offering is that you have this 24-7 coaching hotline. It's transactional coaching. So the typical use case, I have a meeting coming up with my boss tomorrow. I need to give them feedback. I don't know how. I'm a little bit nervous. What should I do? And then we coach them through using a few coaching frameworks, basically like chat-based coaching, relative straightforward. We have tons of transcripts that we use to train Bunchy our AI-powered assistant coach to basically learn what tone of voice we use, what questions we use, and so on. And she then pulls in our tip library. She then pulls in our podcast episode. She then pulls in um, our content that is basically our um, proprietary IP to link the user back into those um, content pockets where they can learn more about something. And I think this is actually the really interesting use case for most, like, let's say, vertical or niche kind of applications, like if you have a very topical application, let's say you have a recipe uh, database or something like that, the real like cool use case is you go in, if you don't want to search for whatever reason, if you just want to say, I want to do this like pasta bolognese, like you get a little chat with someone and it actually just links you to the right two recipes that are like the coolest ones for you in that moment. And it just shortcuts the search, you know, going for the database, whatever. So it's actually a UX improvement mostly like it makes it just so more accessible to find the right information at the right time. Um, and how people use it really kind of not only depends on this open AI technology, but like the UX around it. What use cases it serve? Does it link into additional resources or not? Yeah. Big difference. And like how we can actually work around that and limitations there. I mean, I love it. And my last question, knowing that we have to end, you know, I love the, again, the information. Heck yes, we get to learn so much and it's so personal and relevant to us. And as I sit here, I'm like, oh my gosh. And I, I tried to look up some of the the other side of chat TBT because I can see all the benefits of how it works. And then I was looking up, okay, like what, what are the unintended consequences of what that is? And there's, you know, there's there and they're still working through this. There's a ton of bias on there. I just read something yeah. about they had it right, you know job descriptions and the job descriptions came back incredibly sexist. And so there still is that. So what would be a recommended, we have that, what else do you think someone needs to do to make sure it's actually relevant in the, in the real world too? Because I, I think there's still a space for that human interaction to talk about what that, you know, information means, but how do you, how would you advise someone to take that, but then also make sure that they're on the right path in terms of their own comprehension? Yeah. I mean, I think there is no easy answer here. And I think we're back to like ethics in AI type of conversations um, where there isn't like any easy answers and shortcuts. And we talk about this all the time as well. Like we started, of course, um, training Bungie 
with our internal resources and there is limited perspectives. Like we don't, for instance, have a person of color coach and therefore we reach out to our community of authors and content creators right now where there are people of color that are coaches and pull them in and basically say, well, we now need to actually do reviews with these people because we are not otherwise representing so many points of view. And this is, I think, what it will come down to. Like, I actually think in some ways AI makes a case for diversity. Because the only thing we can do as humans is to offer a unique point of view. And that is really important from like not only a, you know, ethical perspective, but also from a business perspective, because we have a market with many people inside of it. So we will have different needs in order for us to actually keep tabs on those needs. um, We need to keep diversity in our points of view. And the big problem with the AI as it is today, it's And it all is statistically based. Statistics always have regression to the mean. So it always will kind of try to hit something that is like correct for 70% of the cases or correct for 70% of the people. And we'll always have the underrepresentation problem. So we keep, we have to keep kind of course correcting constantly because we're trying to achieve the impossible. We're training a statistically based algorithm that regresses to the mean by definition, like it is trying to hit the average and satisfy everyone. And with that, produce personalized services and make kind of like satisfy personalized needs and personally different needs. So it's an interesting kind of, um, it requires an interesting collaboration between the algorithm, which is typically the picker. So like they pick the content, the recommendation, right? Like they choose what to present to you in one point in time. And the content database, which is basically needs to be fed through um, diverse points of view, because otherwise you'll end up with just biased stuff. And confirmation bias has to live in there, right? Because exactly like all biases. So every yeah, yeah, yeah. there a space for like the counterpoint within it of saying, okay, here's the stuff, but now here's something you might also want to consider. Like, is that part of the technology too to help? Exactly. So to give you a very specific example, like, and again, I don't have all the answers, and I'm not even an expert in the field. I think there are people that are really focused on ethics and AI, and like I'm just trying to keep up with it and kind of read their content. But what we're doing basically is we validate topic selection and strategies. When we produce new content, when we add to the library in Bunch, we, of course, we have like this content analytics process where we go through like what is actually being read, what is being saved, what is being abandoned, what is being searched, what is actually talked about in the media, what is being searched on Google. And there's like all these different sources. And then we kind of like synthesize, synthesize, synthesize into like what challenges our users have. And then we come up with a shortlist. Now that shortlist, like, almost never includes inclusion. Like how to build an inclusive team is not a top of mind challenge for managers. Just just like, unfortunately, the truth. So every time we do this exercise, I sit there and I'm like, I'm not going to like accept that now, right? I'm going to prioritize inclusive content anyways (laughs) and add it into the top three topics. It's now a number three topic. Like we basically pick two topics that are validated by user demand plus how to build an inclusive culture. And we just keep feeding it in. And you know, the funny part is sometimes those pieces of content are the most successful ones. But if you would go by the majority, like the majority of management is not looking for how to make teams more inclusive on average. Of course, we have user challenges coming to us. Like, how do I address this like racist comment? How do I deal with this bias situation? How do I deal with that? And This is like, it's a really difficult um, kind of moment, I think, for me as a founder always, where I'm like, yeah, I'm going against my customer's needs, 
here I am doing this. Yep, I'm taking a political stand. Therefore, you will have to raise inclusive content. But I don't, I like, I don't have any other solution. You know, like I know there's a bias. If I don't actually offer this topic, we'll never like upgrade our knowledge on it. And I will continue to have users writing me about how to address racist comments and they don't know how to give that feedback to their managers and we won't move forward. And so that's kind of, I think we are looking like we we are all using pragmatic solutions in the field. There isn't like one shortcut or kind of um, best ideal solution or ideal kind of playbook to deal with this um, overall. But I think it's really important to have um, advisory boards, ethical boards, just stakeholders in your development process that represent different points of view. I think that's like the main takeaway. If you're developing AI technology and you are not working with diverse points of view, you are creating more problems in the world than you are making a positive impact, in my opinion. Yeah. And if you're a leader, you've got to get out there and actually have conversations with people. You can't rely solely on one thing or check your sources, you know, do your best to make an informed decision, check the counterpoints, um, try to be aware of your own biases that might come into play and develop your own self-awareness. Because, you know, that's, it can, again, I'm saying this from a 20 year old self that had not great (laughs) self-awareness, but a high learning desire. And there is still a place where, you know, ask other people, have conversations with people, you know, there's so much information available to us. Daria, how can people learn more about Bunch? How can they get in touch with you? Um, totally easy, actually. I am to be found on LinkedIn uh, with my name, Daria Gutnick. If you want to uh, plug it into the show notes, super happy to hear from everyone and just add me on LinkedIn, um, drop a little note and I'll, I'll definitely respond. Super active there. And uh, of course, on Bunch's side, it was really important to us that everyone can get access to this knowledge and information. We're all about democratizing leadership knowledge. Therefore, you can download it for free on the App Store. If you go to the App Store and you just enter Bunch Coach or Bunch Leadership or Bunch Work, you'll find us and you can download it. There is a premium plan, but you don't have to um, use it. You can totally also stick to the free version and check it out. Let us know what you think. Yeah, I love it. Go out there and learn, 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 learn. I mean, if you're not growing, you're dying. That's one of my favorite quotes. Daria, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciated the conversation. I know I ask questions because I still am learning this. And I'm like, I I have no idea. There's so much here to like understand. So I just appreciate you even having and bearing with my level of not (laughs) comprehension and just intrigue. And I just, I really enjoyed the conversation and thanks for getting it started for people to know, A, another tool that's out there and B, what to be prepared for in terms of how the workforce is changing. I really appreciated your expertise and your insights and just thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for asking amazing questions. And first principle questions are always the best ones. So thank you so much, Jen, for going all the way in and digging into it with me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I have so many questions about really understanding ChatGPT. I get that it's going to give us so many great ways to learn new ideas. And then also I wonder, what will that mean for human intervention? What will that mean for our relationships? What does that mean for how we even learn? Now, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And if you want to check out and learn more about the app that Daria and her team has created, Bunch, you can download the Bunch AI Leadership Coach for free on the App Store. And of course, if you know anyone that might enjoy this conversation, that's living in the learning space and is curious about the changes that are coming down the pipeline, share this with them. And if you like this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. 
And of course, if we can help you with your leadership development needs, to have those conversations, to develop and give you the tools and skills to thrive for the future of work, head on over to crosscom.com. We would love to have a conversation with you about how we can help develop your leaders. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.